Hello, friends, and welcome to Bet On You Radio, where every episode we have an incredible guest sharing amazing stories to give you the tools and strategies you need to bet on yourself and win. I'm Ben Whiting here with Angie Morgan Witkowski. Angie, our guest today is a friend of yours. He is. So I know Coach Jay Izzo from being a guest on his podcast, and I can tell by the questions that he would ask me, I'm like, man, this guy has so much to say. And I thought he'd be a perfect Bet On You radio guest because he deals so much with helping people find their purpose in life and find their passion in life. And he helps them to reconnect with their dreams of their youth because there's something telling about our dreams when we're young and they can give us clues about what our interests might be as adults. I have to ask you that. What did you want to do when you were young, when you when, were just a small boy? When I was, I wanted to be a cartoonist. I loved drawing. I loved making people laugh, which would stick. And yeah, so it was just something I did consistently and constantly. And I think what it really boiled down to is I love telling stories. And I love connecting with people, which has manifested itself into my keynote speaking career now and the entertainment career I had before that. What about yourself? What would you want to be when you were a kid? Well, I had parents who were in education, so it was naturally for me to think I wanted to be a teacher. And in some ways I did, but I wasn't really wanting to settle in on teaching. And I used to babysit a bit and I wasn't really a good babysitter. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't my favorite. Maybe I was a good babysitter, but it wasn't my thing. And so it's funny how I'm kind of doing that stuff now and really happy like it was about teaching and I work with adults primarily. So, And sometimes I'm sure it feels like babysitting. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, adults aren't children, but right. (laughs) But anyway, Coach Jay, I wanted to bring him on because he helps people reconnect with those parts of their life. I think get beaten out of us as we grow up. I don't know if that resonates with you, that as we get older, or at least with some people, we just kind of forget about those things that inspired us when we were young. We do, but luckily we have people like Coach Coach Jay who can help us. And I'm also excited because I know he has stories from the farm growing up. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting to me that you you have your background in the Marines and I have my background in entertainment and how the lessons we learned in those settings kind of come to help Help us do the work we do now with people in the professional and personal lives. And so I'm really excited to hear what those stories are from the farm and how they can apply to our listeners. I bet he's got some great stories. I'm sure he does. Jay, welcome to Bet On You Radio. Well, Angie, Ben, thanks for having me on. I am honored, I'm privileged, and I'm looking forward to having a lot of fun. That is exciting. So are we. That is one thing I think we know how to do really well in here at Bet On You Radio is have fun. So before we get to all the cool, amazing things, Ben and I love to hear about people's backstories. How did you get to this spot? I think you started off on a farm, didn't you? Which might be a surprising. Yeah. It shouldn't have happened. Shouldn't (laughs) have happened. No, I think when people think about things, right? I, you know, I grew up in a town of 119 people in Nebraska. That's not counting the town dog. So there... So it was a really small town. There was no work to do. Generally, by the time you're nine years old, a farmer comes around to your house, knocks on the door and tells your mom, hey, we understand you have a little boy in your house. My mom would say yes. Well, we're going to throw him in the back of the truck, hand him a large machete and have him cut weeds out of soybeans. And that's kind of how it really happens. And you grow up in this small town and you do small town things and the only job you have is working on a farm so i became a farm hand mm-hmm. and worked as a farm hand and then uh, went to high school and locally about eight ten miles away was not a good student um if i got a c plus that was a pretty good day um uh, if i did that 
talked my way into college, promised that I would take the ACT, never took it. Wow. <laughs> um, got a 0.75 my first semester in college. Uh, Congratulations. And, and, <laughs> yeah, and then had to fight my way back. Um, thankfully, Dr. Tom Johnson took me under his wing and taught me a lot of things about studying and uh, got married at 19. That marriage didn't work out. Um, went to grad school at Washington State University. Talked my way in there too, by the way, because mm -hmm. I didn't really had such a bad start in my college career. Uh, I, I was not accepted to any grad school, but um, got my, I talked myself into it. I, I, yeah, Jay, I have to ask because research is showing that there's so many different types of intelligence now. There's you know academic intelligence. There's emotional intelligence. There's just kind of plain common sense, and I even though you had the 0 0.75 GPA, there's an intelligence to be able to talk yourself into an academic institution like that. I have to ask, like, how did you do that? Like, what was the conversation? Oh yeah, so uh, Steve Rasmussen, I'll never forget this. Um, my friends, I, was, I played high school football and I wanted to play some college football. And I was okay, but I wasn't great. And uh, I remember seeing Steve Rasmussen in a t-shirt, a pair of jeans, and some tennis shoes, who was the it, director and admitter to Doan University mm -hmm. in Nebraska. And I literally sat down with him in a conversation and literally talked to myself. I literally, the conversation kind of just went, I can do this. You know, I'll figure it out. You know, I'll do what I need to do to make this work. And, and then, of course, I failed miserably my first semester uh but they've got a three like three four the second semester and i by the time i finished i was on dean's list you know four straight semesters oh. and was like 4.3 out of 4.0 and um so um i ended up it ended up turning out good but the conversation really was me just saying look i i know what hard work is i know how to do it i'm not afraid of it and i know it's going to take some work and i know we've got a lot of challenges to overcome but I can do that. And Ben, you're right. Dr. Gardner talked about, you know, I think he's got now 11 intelligences mm -hmm. that he talks about, you know, in his work on that. There's not just one intelligence. And I think, you know, one of those is verbal for me mm -hmm. is that I have a verbal intelligence and I put things together relatively quickly. I'm a, I'm, I love to solve puzzles and problems. And, you know, it kind of went from there and I had a problem. I needed to solve it. And my motto was always kind of been, I'll figure it out. And that's kind of how it went. I was going to say, going from a 0 0.075 <laughs> to eventually making to the dean's list, you're probably a quick learner, too. Well, it depends on who you ask. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know that. I, I have a tendency, Angie, in all honesty, to sometimes repeat my mistakes until I finally go, oh, okay, yeah, I probably shouldn't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes, yes, I could be a quick learner, but sometimes I'm not such a quick learner and have to make mistakes over and over and over again until I get it. But I'm okay with that because eventually I will learn, you know, what to do and to do it right. But, you know, I'll figure it out. I love that motto. And, you know, speaking of figuring out, you've got a couple books in this world, but Lessons from the Farm, what did you mm. learn from your childhood? Because that's a really key point in your work is just talking about the lessons we pick up, even the hard lessons we learn and applying yeah. them to our life. Yeah, so the secondary title is Essential Rules for Success. And I don't think I, I don't think people equate farm work with 
success, you know, outside of the farm because it's, it's success is such a difficult word to define anyway. Mm-hmm. But one of the first rules, it's the first chapter of the book, is sometimes you have to do things afraid. And, you know, you kind of talk about this in bed on you and that you have to get you have to do things that are uncomfortable. And if, if you don't mind, I'll tell the story of how I learned that lesson. So on the farm, this farm that I worked with most of my uh, through my teenage years before I went to college uh, was just down the street or up the road. I guess we say up the road a piece. And I worked for Bob Lillydoll, Um and God rest his soul. He's left us three years now. Um, but we used to have to do this thing where we have to castrate pigs and in in those days and it was not an easy thing to do now i have never castrated pigs at 12 13 years I've never of age done that before. ben have you done that before i uh not recently no <laughs> okay so then how you did it was you would grab the uh right front leg of the boar by the way there's boars and sows boars are male okay. sows are female and, and if you ever heard the word barrow, that's a boar who's been castrated. They become a barrow. So oh, just to let you know what that is. Didn't anyway, so you grab the right front leg of the boar and you pull him over on its side. And then you straddle yourself over the leg that's on its side. And then the other person comes down with a knife and proceeds to do the uh, The deed. Cutting. Yeah. The yeah deed. The deed. <laughs> so the first time that that happened... Uh, I was told what to do. Bob told me what to do. And uh, he, he, I remember he said, okay, you're up. And I mean, there's hogs screaming and running around. And it smells bad, if you can only imagine. You're How old are you? Wait, tw- I'm about 12, 12 13 oh, years that's old. That's my Gosh. son's age, Guard. So imagine Guard doing what he's doing right now. Keep going. This is, this is <laughs> oh. riveting. <laughs> so... I, I try to take, I try to take my first step, right, in the hog slop and everything that's around me. And I almost stumble and fall flat on my face. And I, I keep walking towards it. And I'm just telling myself, you know, you got to do You're scared to death. And you're telling yourself, you got to do it. You got to do it. You just got to do it. And you go over and you reach over and you grab that front leg. You reach over, you pull it over on its side. And you're sitting there straddling. The thing's moving like crazy. And you're trying to hold on for dear life and it's screaming and the hogs are screaming and the smell is awful and then bob comes and sits down and puts his left knee right next to me and he proceeds with the knife and he does the whole thing and and then it's over and what i recognized in that moment was that fear never leaves you ever you have to do it afraid and here's what's interesting about that situation though when I got the first one done, that's when the fear left. Because I said, you know what, I can do this. So then I wanted to do the next one. And then I did the next one. And then I told Bob, I said, let's get a bigger one. I want to do bigger. <laughs> right? Because here's what, here's what happens, right? When you are willing to walk in the midst of fear, right? When you're willing to do it. When you're willing to commit to it. And then you accomplish it. Accomplish it then what happens is now it's a challenge. Fear is gone, challenge on. Because now you're ready to take on something bigger because now you want to test yourself, right? There's, this goes back to your book, Angie. You know, when you bet on you, when you take that risk and you overcome the challenge, the fear now subsides and you want to take on something bigger. But it takes that first step. And with each step that I went towards that first hog, 
I became more and more committed. I knew there was no turning back. I was still afraid, but commitment is what made me do it. And then once I did it, then the challenge was on. And that became the first lesson. And I believe it's, it is the first lesson because we get paralyzed by fear. So how, it, we, go ahead. Oh, how often does that memory come back? Like whenever you have to like, you have a big obstacle, a big task, something you're worried about, you know, fear is there. Does that memory come back and motivate you to be like, you know what? We just got to castrate this thing and go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't come back exactly in that way anymore. But what it does, it serves as a lesson. I think it's become a habit because for me, you know, even when I started podcasting, you know, this didn't, that it didn't exist when I graduated college. It didn't exist when I graduated grad school. It wasn't even my major because my majors and my, my major and my graduate work is in psychology. So when I decided to podcast, I had no idea what I was doing, but I knew that you have to just go out there and just like pull in the front leg of that board. <laughs> you are going to give us so many great memories from that story. Next time I do something really scary, I'm going to be thinking about you, Coach Jay, and that hog. But obviously... You didn't spend the rest of your life castrating pigs, the no. uh, or not sows, but what are they called? Boars. 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 Yes, obviously. Ben uh, is a theater major. He doesn't know anything <laughs> about farms. I can act I, I, like you, I do. You know, I had a scholarship for theater, Ben. Oh, really? Excellent. In college, in college, I had a scholarship. I had a football scholarship and an acting scholarship. Those two don't like usually con- go hand in hand. <laughs> they don't at all. Well, that's this is great because my question is like. So we, we leave the farm. What were your bigger aspirations? What was the bigger picture, the bigger goal for your life that you like were going for? I thought, okay, so I was trying to figure it out in college like everybody tries to figure it out in college, right? You're trying to figure out what is it I want to do? What am I interested in? And there was an emerging field of sports psychology. Mm. And I had dreams of being the greatest sports psychologist in the world. And, and my... Uh, Psychology advisor, Dr. Mike Holmes, my defensive coordinator, uh, Tom Hood, uh, they really helped me um, get contacted with the University of Nebraska and Lincoln and, you know, helped me design experiments. And I was working with athletes and we were doing things like on psyching, how to, you know, psyching up strategies. Do they really work? And they got me all this equipment from the labs at UNL. And uh, I thought that's what the dream was going to be. And I literally, after grad school, I took my first job at North Carolina State University, and I was an academic coordinator and sports psych guy. And because I had done research in enhancing uh, academic performance in deficient student athletes, that was um, my first science research. And so they brought me in. I thought this was my way ticket to getting into being a sports psychologist and working in the athletic field because that's what I thought I was going to be. And it didn't work out. In fact, it became a failure. Mm-hmm. It fell apart. And I, I wandered and floundered for years, uh, decades, trying to just go on from one thing to another, trying to figure out something to do. Because I was wandering aimlessly because the dream was gone. I couldn't, I couldn't get back in. Um, I, I, don't, I didn't know that I really wanted to get back in because I was so disillusioned by the uh, politics and uh, the structure of academia and just 
really struggled. I, I, I met my current wife. We're going to be married 25 years this October. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. She's going to be, she has an amazing, successful real estate company. I, I thought I would do real estate. Clearly, I couldn't sell um, at that time, and that didn't work out. Uh, I just floundered. She, she told me to write a book. I wrote a book. Um, lost tons of money on my first book. Um, still have lost money on that first book. Wrote two more books. Didn't make any money on those. And then I wrote my fourth book and uh, finally had a book that basically broke even. And uh, can I pause for a quick second there? Yeah. Because, you know, we kind of used to say, you know, the third time's a charm and things like that. But yeah. going through the process of writing a book, losing money, writing another book, not doing so well. I mean, I'm sure you're getting like inches of progress. What keeps you going when you feel rejection, Coach Jay? What keeps you going? Well, because you believe in what you do. I knew, I knew that I had a really good message and I knew that I was touching the lives of somebody. Hmm. And even though I wasn't seeing the financial rewards for it, what started to happen was realizing that I, w I, I had the wrong attitude initially. I, I was trying to do it to try to make money instead of realizing that my real overall purpose is to really help people. And then that started driving me further. And so whether I'm speaking to someone or speaking to a group of people or whether I'm coaching, I stopped worrying about the money and I started really focusing on am I doing what's best to help this person or these people improve and be better. And then the financial rewards come, you know, ultimately that's, that's what happens. You know, I heard a quote, well, I was going to say, I heard a quote recently that this is really resonating with me. It says, you know, motivation, it's not about doing great work. It's about feeling great about the work you do. And it sounds like that's kind of where you tapped into your motivation for everything you were doing in terms of keep writing, keep helping people, keep helping people find the best version of themselves. Well, and it's, it's also, I think, Ben, and that's a great point. I think the other piece of that, though, is, you know, what, what am I really motivated by? Because I changed my motivations. Because mm -hmm. I, so, I was so interested in making a living, which I understand is important, but then I started to realize what was really motivating me was that I wanted to see these people change and improve. And that became such a driving force and still is. I mean, it's my, it's, it is my driving force. My driving force with every one of my clients, when I do a show, you know, like when Angie, when you've been on my show twice and when, whenever so you're on fun. my show, my, my goal is first, I, you know, you're my, you're my first thing is I want to make sure that I'm serving you well. And then I want to make sure I'm serving the thousands and maybe potentially millions of listeners and viewers. I want to make sure that I am giving them something that can help them find a new direction in their life. And, and I believe that we do that and that we're making a disruption in the force because we're doing something that is genuinely trying to see people move off their X, right? Because we all get caught on this little X on this little spot and we don't have to make a big movement. We just have to make a little movement in a positive direction to make that change. And that is my focus. I don't need to see big changes in people. I just want to move them a little bit off their spot in a positive direction. 
And that motivates me in every single thing I do. As you're talking, I, oh, I didn't mean to interrupt you. You're on a no, roll no. here. Well, <laughs> no, I mean, you, you touched me in a really big way. It's just like those little moves off the X. Like you don't need to do a fundamental overhaul, but if you can just like stretch a little bit into your passion, into your purpose. But I want to go back to you and the, the work that you do, because I imagine part of your coaching is helping people switch their definitions of success from like an outcome to maybe more of a service to others. Can you talk about that for a second? Because I think, again, we all get so caught up in those trappings of success, but I imagine you help people redefine what success really is. Well, it's, okay, I can't control the result. Okay, it, I, I want people to understand that you cannot control the result, but you can control so much of the inputs, right? And, and it goes back to farming. Right. Before we ever plant the soil, we measure it for pH to make sure it's right. And we cultivate it and we till it and we plant the seed in it and we make sure it's covered right. And we, you know, make sure it's got sunlight and water. We do all the things that we could do to put all the inputs in. But I still have no control over the result of how much the harvest is going to be. So what I really want people to do is I want them to change their input, whether that be and I like to start with gratitude. So you can always, there's three things that you can always change in your life. You can change your, you can, you're in control of your attitude, your control of your effort and your control of getting back up again or your resiliency, right? I could control those three things. Those are inputs, right? I make a choice every day I get up what my attitude is going to be despite my circumstances. Uh, my circumstances, it's not that I live a perfect life or there's not bad things that happen, but I choose how my attitude is going to be today. And I want it to be a positive attitude because you know what? My problems are not your problems. They're, they're not. I, ha I still have a responsibility to my clients to give them a positive experience that they can grow and they can learn from it and start to change their input a little bit. I still have a responsibility to demonstrate that I'm going to give my best effort, right? Whatever that is, because nobody else can measure your effort. Only you know how much effort you're giving, right? Oftentimes you want to go, well, they didn't give their best effort. How do you know that? Really? Do you really know that? Because that may be the best they have today. But if I do the best that I can, I have to count on that that result, somewhere there's going to be a result that's positive. By the same token, if I don't get back up, if I don't choose to get back up again and face another day, regardless of my circumstances, if I don't get back up and do those things again, then nothing changes. In fact, we spiral. And as we know, when we spiral, we spiral down, we never spiral up. It takes us to either climb up or have someone help us pull ourselves up. Coach Jay, I got to ask. So you sure. say the three things, the inputs, the stuff we can control, it's our attitude, it's our effort, and it's our resiliency. And this, these three things sound to me a lot about kind of, you know, focused on the self, you know, getting things done. What advice do you have in terms of relating to other people? What are the things that really help people do that? Because you know, a lot of us, we have to work with a lot of people all day long. Okay, let me, let me ask you a question, both of you. Oh, good. I love questions. All right. Go. What percentage of the relationship are you responsible for? 50%. I'd say 100%. 100% of my half? 50% <laughs> of your half. Yeah, no, that's all right. Why don't you tell us the answer, Jake? Go. <laughs> I'm 100% responsible for my relationships. Because I'm 100% responsible for what I say. I'm 100% responsible for what I do. But I'm also 100% responsible for how I react and respond to everything you say or do to me. 
So every relationship I'm 100% responsible for. Because it's going to be the things I say, it's going to be things I do, and it's going to be the way that I respond to you that ultimately determine that relationship. And so then it becomes incumbent upon me to get to know you relentlessly, to know everything I can relentlessly about you, and to learn everything I can about you so that I can speak to you right, that I can do the things that fit into your love language, that, and that I respond to you in a way that resonates with you. I'm 100% responsible for those things. And that goes back to what I just said. I'm not responsible for the result, but I am responsible for all three of those inputs. What would our world be like if we had more people thinking that way? I remember hearing something, I think it was Dr. Phil. I will quote my source, and I'm not <laughs> ashamed to say I listened to Dr. Phil. I used to have drive radio, a bit I will say right. the circumstance. I was you know, driving, yeah, I was working in pharmaceutical sales, a lot of radio time, XM radio. So I remember thinking that, I was listening to talk about relationships and he's like a relationship isn't 50 50 it's 100 100 it's just that sometimes your hundreds look different and i'm like ooh, that was really interesting because you're right i think we spend a lot of time putting so much on other people on the things that we absolutely can't control i imagine we would reclaim a lot of time in our life if we just put the control back to what we can control so rather than worrying about you or they said this or they said that but it's like okay what am i yeah. going to do with this i'd love to hear your kind of thoughts on that too and how that operates as a principle in your life yeah so let's take marriage yeah. real quick right and marriage is one of the most difficult personal relationships that we'll ever have because there's two different people that live into the same go move into the same home and they have two different personalities they have two distinct things that they enjoy and like and you know one is more organized generally one's more messy Generally, one is. <laughs> one they're they're talk, he's talking that's about me. you. I told him. <laughs> I'm yeah. the messy one, <laughs> right? And there's one that's a feeler, and one that's a thinker, and you know, one's more intuitive, and one's more sensing. But the truth is, with my wife, right? We have this hundred percent rule that ultimately we understand that you know what, regardless of what she says to me, she's hundred percent responsible for it. And but I'm one hundred percent responsible how I respond to what she says to me, because not always is that going to be kindness, right? Right. But I'm still 100% responsible for how I respond. So I can either get defensive, right? Because she said something, I didn't like the tone of it, or maybe it, she's ha had, a, you know, a rough day, you know, at owning a real estate company or whatever it may be. I am still 100% responsible how I respond to that. So I can either respond defensively, right? And get into an argument with her, or I can respond gently and kindly try to understand her perspective and try to come up with a way to not let the situation move any further. And so that, that's true of every single conversation that we have. I have to be consciously and intentionally aware that regardless of what she says, right, I'm 100% responsible for my reaction to it. And this is true in every relationship. If we take that role and responsibility that I'm 100% responsible for my response first, then we start paying attention more closely to what am I saying? What is the tone of my voice? Did I say it with kindness? Was I generous with my words? What about my actions? Did my actions lead to bringing us together or to moving us further apart? What am I doing? What am I saying? Because I'm responsible for those things. And that re starts to maintain a healthy relationship because generally what happens is she will say something, I'll say something gently back. 
And she'll come back later and say, you know, I, I, I didn't say that very well. And I'll just say, okay, you know, we're good here. I still love you, you know? And, you know, sometimes uh, my wife will say to me, I don't like you very much. I love you, but I don't like you very much. Well, I get that, right? Because sometimes we don't like each other, but I still love you. And that needs to be expressed the same way, right? I'm still in control of everything. It's just, I'm not feeling very good about the situation. Well, feelings change. You know, they often do. They always do, in fact. They always change. Depending on the circumstance or situation, sometimes they can inflect us, but I'm still responsible for how I respond to that. And when you have, yeah, I've heard the saying I, I love is like, you know, a lot of people talk about emotional intelligence, but very few people talk about emotional literacy. And what's so great is the self-awareness you're bringing to the situation, you know, that it's okay to feel any one of the feelings as long as you are 100% responsible for your response and how you process it. Do you, do you have any advice for like processing those difficult emotions, whether it's anger or sadness? Yes. So, you know, Daniel Goleman has written so much, right, on emotional quotients and mm -hmm. emotional intelligence, right? And we break that down into two things, right? One is how well are you able to control your emotions under stress and pressure? And then the other piece of that is how well are you able to understand and tap into the emotions of other people? Well, those require an intention and then action. So it's not, it's not good enough to intend to control my emotions under stress and pressure. I meant it's to do not, it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's, not, it's not enough, right? It's not enough to say, well, I, I tried to listen. Well, there is no try. Thanks, <laughs> you, Yoda. You, you, Yoda, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Well, so like, let's say under stress or pressure, let's just take a simple example. Somebody cuts you off in the midst of traffic, right? And that's a big one for most people, right? They get mad and everything like that. Well, when those incidents happen, I have to be not only intentional, but I have to say to myself, well, maybe this person had a bad day. Maybe this person's in a hurry because they need to get home. Maybe there's a, another day. Instead of implying negative intent, trying to find positive intent of a situation because you just don't know all the pieces. So often we try to see life in a photograph, but, it's, but the photographs are misleading. Life is a movie because you could take a picture of a man and a woman at a, a very nice restaurant. And you could get this assumption, well, he's married to someone else and she's married to someone else. And all of a sudden we, we create a picture, right? Because that's what our mind wants to do. But if you understood it, they're actually brother and sister, right? And they haven't seen each other in years and they're having a nice dinner together because the photograph doesn't tell us the whole story, right? And so what happens in our mind is we want to paint a picture of what somebody does. So we have to be able to be extraordinarily intentional and then commit that I don't have to have negative intent about this situation. The second piece of that in, in terms of, you know, how do I tap into and understand the emotions of others requires an emotional vocabulary, right? We have a tendency to sometimes make our emotional vocabulary so simple. So we go, I'm sad, I'm angry, I'm happy, right? But there's subtleties to it. Uh, women are so much better in their emotional vocabulary. You know, they could say, I'm miffed. Yeah, right? <laughs> you, tell, you tell a guy, you know, well, I'm feeling a little blue today. And he goes, how do you feel? How do you feel a color? I don't know. What, what does orange feel like? Right. Because they don't because they don't they don't make the association. Right. So we have to expand our emotional vocabulary. But then the key to tapping into and understanding the emotions of each other. Is not talking. And actively listening, which means that you can't be ready to speak. You have to set aside what you want to say and really absorb every word, every intention, every inflection, and try to completely understand 
what the other person is feeling, thinking, and expressing. This is Bet On You Radio, where we encourage people to take risks in their lives. And I think a lot of our listeners are at the stage in their life where they may have failed to build one of the most important relationships in their world, and that is their relationship with themselves. And I know you do a lot of work around purpose and helping people find their why, but can you share with us why it's so important, especially at this later mature career stage in our life, it is so important to find your why? When we have purpose, we have motivation. Mm -hmm. And understanding our why, of course, you know, Simon Sinek was the one who kind of turned us on to finding your why, finding your why, find your why, find your why. And it's become so difficult for people to find their why because what happens is we've pounced on our dreams or our dreams have been pounced on over the course of our lives. Uh, when we were kids, we dreamt about being astronauts and princesses, and presidents and uh, lawyers and doctors. And we're not doing that when we dream because people would say to us, oh, you can't do that. Uh, you know, that's silly. We can never afford that. And so what happens is People put aside those dreams and as we age and get older and people tell us those things are silly and wrong, we end up doing some things that, yeah, we did okay and yeah, maybe we enjoyed them, maybe we didn't, but we just feel like there's just no purpose in our life. And I, you know, I help people find their purpose in that. And the truth of the matter is it starts with one thing and that is you got to dream again. I mean, when's the last time as an adult you really dreamt? What, what were those dreams that you had as a child? What were those dreams that you, you know, thought would be so grandiose that somebody stepped on? And why don't you reopen those up again? Right? Why, why don't you move in another direction? Why don't you find what those things are? And I have a three-step process that I help people do this. First is, here's how we find our purpose. First is, is, is the three A's are affinity. What do you have an affinity for? Don't exclude anything. And I'm not talking about passion. That you have an affinity for it. That's something that you enjoy or you're interested in. It could be a hobby. It could be anything. But what, what are some things? And go way back. What were the things you were interested in as a child? What do you have an affinity for? Because oftentimes the things that you've forgotten as a child are the very things that you still have an affinity for but you didn't look at. That's the first one is affinity. The second circle is aptitude. What are you really good at? And I don't mean the things that you do in your job. I mean, look at your personality. What great qualities do you have in your personality that you're good at? What are some of the other things that you're, that you're adept at doing, right, that you can do, that you, that you have a skill for? Maybe it's talking. Maybe it's, maybe it's building things. Maybe it's, you know, music. Whatever it may be, what, what do you have an aptitude for? Maybe it's math. Right? It could be a number of things, right? But don't exclude anything. And then the third circle is affirmation. What are people telling you you're good at? And this is the one that's the most difficult because oftentimes we fall into a sense of false humility where people will say, oh, you're such a good cook, but we pass it off and go, eh, you know? Or they'll say, you know, you're really, you're really a good listener. And we go, eh, or, you know, wow, how did you do that in your head? That's amazing. And it could be so subtle. And we pass off the affirmations that people are giving us. 
Well, if you were to collapse those three circles together and find the commonalities of three, those three circles, you'll find that in the center of those three circles, there are themes and things that you have in common. And when you find your affinity, your aptitude, and your affirmations, if you're willing to explore those deep enough, that will lead you to a sense of purpose because it's your natural gifts, God-given gifts, talents, and abilities that will ultimately lead to helping the world become a better place because the gifts that we're given are not meant for us to hoard. They're meant for us to give. And so when, we're, when we find those things in the midst of those three things, that's when we start giving the gift back. And that's when we start to realize that our purpose is not in our educational status. Because the truth of the matter is, nothing that I do really has anything to do with my degrees. Think about it. I podcast. There was no podcasting. I don't even have a, I don't have a major in that. Right? I never take, I've never taken a speech class, and yet I'm hired to speak all over the place. I had a C, uh, I had a C in remedial English in college, and I've written four books, right? And, and writ, art, have written articles in Inc. Magazine and Entrepreneur or wherever else there are, they are, right? You know, so, you know, here you have all these things, but it's my natural God-given gifts, talents, and abilities. And when you clue into those, and then you understand that you can give this gift back to make the world a better place, whatever that may be, and find those themes and things, then what happens is you're unleashed. You've been set free. And you don't worry about the income, because the income will come. Don't, don't worry about that part of it. But when you have the purpose, it drives you. It motivates you. It inspires you. You can see it. You can feel it. You can breathe it. You drink it in. And you want to do everything that you can to make sure that it gets pushed out into the entire world. I love that so much. Ben, you look like you've got a question on your mind about this. Great. I was just, well, I was listening to your website. I'm hearing these three things, you know, the, the affinity, the, all, all this great stuff. Here's a question, though. Is there such a thing as a bad why? Well, our motivations are always mixed, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes what happens is that we focus on the wrong part of the mixture of our motivation. <laughs> like the cookies. <laughs> like well, I, mean, the I mean, right, we want to eat healthy. It's a, good, it's, great, it's a great example. We want to eat healthy, right? Mm -hmm. and, and oftentimes we do, but then we get into the cookies and the chips, right? Because we have a tendency to focus on the cookies and the chips, right? Instead of staying focused on our motivation to eat healthy, right? And, or we make excuses or we rationalize, right? Or if we're trying to, our why is, you know, we go, I want to help people, but I want to make money. But we focus so much more on the money that what happens is we're really detracting from helping people, right? Even though that's a part of the mix. So what happens is our motivations are often mixed, and, but we have the tendency to focus on the wrong part of the motivations. And it's, it's being able to train yourself over the course of time to, little by little, moving into the right motivations, moving into the right why. Because I don't know, Ben, that there's a wrong why. I think that sometimes what happens is, is just that we, we, we get into that mixed motivation piece and we focus on the wrong part of our why. We are at our favorite portion, Ben. In the show, we get to ask our five favorite questions to our guests. I've got the first one, and I would love to hear from you, Jay. Can you share a major influence in your life, someone that you just don't give enough credit to? Hmm. That I don't give enough credit to. You don't give enough credit to. <sighs> um, 
probably my wife because she can make me run through brick walls and I don't give her enough credit for her encouragement and her belief in me. And we all need people that believe in us. And she's the person that is closest to me. And when she says, I believe you can do this, then I know that I can. What's her name? She's, I, and I don't give her enough credit for that. Can we, you share her name? What's her name? Her name's Linda. Linda. Oh, love that. Oh, fantastic. All right. Next question. Coach Jay, we all, it happens to all of us from time to time. We just get in a funk for mm -hmm. whatever reason. When that happens mm -hmm. to you, how do you, how do you snap yourself out of it? Well, my faith is a real big part of that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, is to rely on my belief system and promises that, you know what, um, you know what, it, it, nothing is permanent. Nothing is ever going to be remain this way and that I can still control my attitude, my effort and my resiliency. And I remind myself literally of those three things. Anytime I'm in a funk, get up, do your best, control your attitude. That's, that's really how I I really do focus my day. I love people who take their own medicine. That is wonderful. I would love to hear from you. If you could go back in time and give your younger self some guidance, what would you tell yourself? Forgive yourself. Mm. Forgive yourself. You made mistakes. Forgive yourself. Don't hold on to them. Because uh, you, you messed up. Don't hold on to the mistakes that you've made, Jay. Let it go because you've been forgiven for that. You now need to forgive yourself because you got to move on. And without forgiving yourself, you're not going to move on. So accept, your, accept the forgiveness that's been given to you and forgive yourself. And, and you'll be okay. I love that. Just got goosebumps. The, ben and uh, I are going to give each know, other right? a cry and a hug later. <laughs> yeah. after you have the <laughs> I forgive you, Ben. Forgive I yourself. For, I forgive yourself. I forgive me too. Oh. <laughs> oh, well, what is it? You know, we've heard your advice to yourself. We've heard you know, how you get out of a funk. Thinking back, has anyone ever given you a piece of advice or a practical strategy that was just an utter game changer? And if so, what was it for you? Mm. Yeah, it was Dr. Henry Osler. And uh, I had been divorced for several years and, you know, did the typical thing, you know, trying to find the right person, right? Trying to find the right person, trying to find the right person. And I stand about six feet, four inches tall, and about 245 pounds. And I remember Henry, it was right after church, Henry grabbed me by the shoulders, looked, looked at me, up, up at me and said, Jay, Stop looking for the right person to become the right person. Oh, dang. It's mm. good stuff. And, <laughs> and uh, that piece of advice I've held on to now for 27, 28 years of just trying to become the right person. I still try to become the right person for my wife every day because I owe her that. And I try to become the right person for her first. And then, you know, my son and children and, and, and my friends and people that I work with, and including you, is try to become the right person. That is wonderful. Again, if everyone could just try that, right? <laughs> try to be the right person. It's going to motivate me to just keep that in the back of my mind. Thank you. I'd love to hear the last question. I'd love to hear from you a book that has inspired you. You mean beyond bet on you? Oh, yes. Of course not <laughs> bet on you. Other ones. Fantastic. <laughs> I mean, that was a given, Jay. Come on. Uh, books. Uh, there's so many books. You know, I, I read a book a week for my show, as you know. Yeah. Angie. And so I've read over 250 books 
in the last five years. That's crazy. And there's, you know, several books that come to mind. Um, one, I think, is Iron Sharpened Leadership. I interviewed uh, General John Gronsky, who was in the Iraq War. And that was a powerful book. Um, Dr. Ryan Goffertson wrote a book, Success Mindsets. Um, that was an absolutely fabulous book that was a pretty big game changer. But one that really I have to stand out to you, and it's really a funny book because I got it by accident, was called Biblical Secrets from the Bible Taught by Rabbi Daniel Lappin. <laughs> I know that's going to sound just bizarre, but here's what happened. I was listening to the book, and he says in the book, I want you to try something. For 30 days, I want you to write out between five and ten things that you're grateful for when you first wake up in the morning. And he said, I know it's going to sound silly, but I want you to do it. So I started doing it. And I decided to take seven because I figured I'm reading a book like this from a rabbi. I might as well try seven, right? So I tried, wrote down seven things every morning. And it started with, uh, you know, I'm grateful for my cup of coffee and I got a place to live and I'm grateful for my wife and those type of things. But eventually it became, I'm grateful for the person I'm becoming. I'm grateful that I have an opportunity to serve. I'm grateful that I have a love in my heart for others. And all of a sudden it started changing from things to what I was becoming over the course of time. And so now I have these little gratitude cards that I write my seven things in every morning. And then I put them in, I have my gratitude jar right next to me here. And I put my gratitudes in that jar. And that book fundamentally changed the way I thought um, about, about how I live and work and move in my life. And that one was a really huge, huge book for me. Amazing. Oh, so great. Now, the final question, this is the next one here, Coach Jay. You obviously spend your life helping people, helping them get closer to the best version of themselves. If our listeners want to learn more about you, how do they find out? <laughs> where, 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 I was waiting for something deep. Where do uh, they man, go? Was, how, do, how do our uh, listeners give you their yeah, money? Yes. <laughs> yeah. How do they hire you to give them this amazing guidance of this world? Yeah, yeah. so if you want to go to jizo.com, that's J-A-Y-I, Z, S is in Sam, O, uh, dot com. You can do that. Or you can go to coachingmavericks.com because that's my coaching company. And uh, we coach, I coach people who want to find their authentic selves and because we're all mavericks. Um, we're all unbranded. We just have to find it. And so they could do it that way. They can also find me on LinkedIn. I connect with everyone on LinkedIn. If you just go to J Izzo, I-Z-S-O, um, Facebook, Instagram, uh, everywhere. Um, just feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to talk to anyone and be more than willing to accept uh, your friend request or your, um, just let me know. You heard it here on Bet On You Radio. Oh, well, thank you so much for your time and attention. You're amazing. A true inspiration, Jay. I appreciate your time. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Appreciate both of you. Thanks, Ben. Thank Thanks, you so Andy. Thank you, Coach Jay. Oh my gosh, Ben. That was incredible. I got the master class in life from Coach Jay. What stood out with you? Oh my gosh. Well, aside from the story from the farm <laughs> and the just castrate it, like for me, it's just amazing how well he has simplified and kind of codified, you know, strategies for getting yourself out of a funk, you know, strategies for connecting with other people, you know, taking 100% responsibility for all the relationships in your life and how you respond to them. It was just. You can tell he puts so much thought into what he does. What about yourself? What stuck with you? Well, I always...
always love to hear people talk about their relationships. And I love the 100%. You know, you have to give 100%. And you have to be 100%. And you can only control what you can control. And again, 25 years in a marriage, a successful marriage, and to still be in love with that person... Like, there's a lot we can learn from even though from time even though from time to time we don't like that person we're That's always normal, in love right like, <laughs> yeah. it's like your family i don't always like you but i love you yeah you know, <laughs> i think too for our for our uh, listeners as you reflect upon what coach jay i, I want to go back i mean it is a soul-searching journey that he is challenging us to take did you take any opportunities or tasks like do you feel challenged to take any yeah, of this guidance well, and put it exactly into action? i mean he was talking about you know we can control our attitude and kind of some of the subtext i heard him talking is you know it's less about being right and being defensive and more about staying curious and a desire to understand understand yourself and understand others so i think you know and we've heard this from multiple guests before the power of curiosity you know it's the lens and lever for influence and personal improvement and it was just kind of Great to hear Coach Jay's take on that and just still get inspired by it again. And the power of intention. Waking yes. up every day just with the intention that I'm going to be my best today. It's going to look different than yesterday. It's probably going to be very different than tomorrow. But this is the space I can control. I can control today. So thank you so much, Bet on You. Radio listeners, we hope that you're walking away with just a pearl of wisdom from this wonderful episode from Coach Jay. Have a great rest of your week. Take care. <laughs>